Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, especially the guys today. We're glad you're here. I like ladies too, but we're just glad the guys are here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from uh, the, some of the venues that are here at Long Point from the warehouse. The chapel, I hear there is a banjo in the chapel. What's up with that? I like that. That's great. And uh, the campuses, thinking about the Dream Center today, uh, Sam and Joan Lesky and the team there doing an awesome job impacting uh, North Charleston. Let's give it up for the Dream Center. Will you do that? You know, uh, one, of, one of the joys of my life, you guys know I talk about it, but it's okay, I can talk about it again. One of the joys of my life is being a father and a grandparent. I love this season. Now, um, let, me, let me introduce you to my kids. We've got nine grandchildren. We've got a picture. I want you to see that real quick. All right. Well, let, me, let me explain something about that picture. Okay, let me explain something. That was such a snapshot of time. That was like a moment in time. The, the, the moments before that and the moments right after that were sheer chaos, okay? We just, we, we, we snapped it and then we, we, we snatched up kids, you know? Because that group, and there's nine of them, they're liable to bust out. In, have you ever w- wished that you had the energy and innocence of a child? How many of you are there? You w- wished you had that, yeah. Energy and innocence of a child. I know last night, let let me just say this. My family, when we go out to a restaurant, we're not going to do that today. But when we go out to a restaurant, we can put a hurting on a restaurant. Let me tell you. You see us coming. You hear us coming. They never have enough high chairs, you know. And uh, so we're we're good tippers. We, We want those of you in the food service industry to know that. But I feel sorry for you when we leave. Last night we went to a restaurant. We only had a... Uh, uh, well, we only had seven of the grandchildren last night, and uh, they were really good. You usually have at least one meltdown. It's good for one or two meltdowns. We've got seven girls, you know, and you have a meltdown at some time. You know, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You look up and down your aisle. If there's more than nine people in your aisle, somebody's having a meltdown right now, okay? You can just, they're just hiding it. But they'll melt down. Uh, we usually get done with the meal. Last night we got done with the meal. My job is to kind of entertain. And so I took the kids. We went to a kid-friendly place. I took them to you know, a place that's got the little quarters where you can buy stuff and all of that. And uh, they're just running everywhere. And I looked over, and three of the little girls were, they just busted out into a spontaneous dance. I mean, they're busting a move, you know, and I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? I don't even hear the music. They're hearing music that nobody else hears. They're not embarrassed by it. They're just who they are. Now, here's my question. When do we lose that? When do we lose that innocence, that spontaneity, that ability to dance? I went, uh, some of you know that uh, I have a buddy of mine that I grew up with. We played music together. And uh, he's, he's in Nashville, and he's a session musician. He's a producer now. 
And every year at right around July the 4th, he has a gathering at his home in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. He lives there part of the time. And he invited uh, Josh and Jason and myself. We were going to be in Colorado. and We kind of took a men's adventure. We do that every once in a while. And he invited us to come up to his place July the 4th evening. And it's up in the hills above Steamboat. He was going to have a campfire with just some friends. We said, okay, we'll come. He said, bring a guitar if you got one. I didn't have one. All I had was a set of golf clubs on that trip. And uh, so we're sitting around this campfire, beautiful, just in Colorado, even at that time of the year at night, that high, it's a little bit cool. Got a jacket on. And some of the people around the campfire, probably about 25 or 30 of us, and some of them had written music before that had been sung on the radio. I had no idea who any of these people were. And uh, so Brent says, why don't we just kind of go around the circle and those of you who brought your guitar and you've written songs, why don't you just give us the background on one of the songs that you've written, why you wrote it, what you were thinking about when you were doing it, and then sing it for us. And if we know it, we'll sing it together. It was at that point I was glad I didn't bring a guitar. And uh, so it was interestingly enough, the very first person that did that, her name was Tia. And she began to tell a story, a really a heartbreaking story of a, uh, of a divorce that she went through, of a breakup. And she said it devastated her in the middle of it. Uh, she went down to Florida. I think she lived in the South maybe. And she went down to Florida and she was sitting on one of those beaches, you know, with the white sand and the green water, maybe around Destin, Florida. And she was lo- looking out at the Gulf and looking out at the ocean. And she felt so insignificant and so small as she did that. And so she got in her car and she drove to Colorado. One of her friends invited her out there. And and uh, she was uh, d- decided she was going to drive up over Trail Ridge Pass, I think. And I've told you about Trail Ridge Pass. It's one of my favorite places in the planet. It's highest road in Colorado. I don't know why I drive over it because I have a fear of heights. And so I just white knuckled at, you know, steering wheel the whole time. I don't see any of the scenery, but it feels good to have been there. You understand what I'm saying? And she said she's going up over this pass and the mountains are just totally intimidating to her. And she wondered if she would ever if she would ever have hope for the dream in her life that she had had before and she was so frightened by the moment. And she sat down and she wrote this song and she took her guitar out and she began to play. And so I asked our team here if they would play the song for you. See if you recognize this song. choice. 
Tara Banks, our worship leader here at the Long Point campus. Leon Womack, eat your heart out. Okay, that's all I got to say. So she sang this incredible song, which is arguably one of the most profound songs ever written in the last 20 years. One country song of the year, one pop cr- crossover pop song of the year. I'm sitting there doing exactly what some of you were doing because i got to watch you. I'm bawling like a baby just thinking about, oh, God, I hope I'll dance, you know, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, and, and I, always, I always say the most inappropriate things. That's why they don't let me go to the hospital when somebody's in real trouble here because I'll say something like, gosh, you don't look good. How you feeling? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so I walked up to her afterwards. I didn't know what to say. And I said, you know, that, that, that was a really, really nice song. You did a really good job. With I hope you write another nice song too someday, you know, that kind of thing. It just felt terrible. I hope you'll dance. When do we lose that? And how do we lose it? We do a Valentine's Day Luke 14 dance here at the Long Point campus every year, and it's for special needs kids and uh, special needs adults too. And and this year we had about 400 that came and it was one of the most incredible experiences to watch as these these folks come and just just dance. And just the sheer joy, uninhibited by these things that I fight every day, my own insecurities and the stuff that life gives. In fact, I was talking to one of the mothers who has... I believe a little girl with Down syndrome, and we were we were talking about it, and she said one of her one of her uh, friends asked her one time said, "If you could give her a normal pill, would you?" And she said, "Oh no, I, I wouldn't because and, and you know sometimes I wonder if the quality of life that some of them have I know the challenges are huge, but I wonder if the quality of life isn't a little bit more like." probably we ought to experience with this when Jesus said, don't worry about anything and all of that. She said, oh, no, I wouldn't give her a normal pill. She said, my 16-year-old, yeah, I'd give him a normal pill tomorrow, (laughs) but not that one. And Jesus said something significant about that. Jesus said, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, there's got to be an innocence about you. 
Look around at the kids. Watch how they bust out into dance. Watch how they're not concerned with what other people think. Because, because that's how, what the kingdom's made up of. If you want to really enter the kingdom of God, you've got to do it through the eyes of a child. You've got to learn how to dance. We're studying the life of David uh, in this series, The Rise and Fall. And uh, David is this complex character. Complex. On the one side, he's this fierce, fierce warrior. But on the other side, here's this romantic poet. Here's this idealist. Here's this innocent who looks at life through different eyes than what most of us look through. And today what I want to do is we're going we're gonna to look at a song that David wrote. And it's found in 1 Samuel, uh, actually 2 Samuel chapter 1. And the background of the song is the fact that King Saul, who had been pursuing David to do him harm for 25 years, has finally died. There's been this fierce battle with the Philistines. In the battle, three of Saul's sons, including Jonathan, whom David had a very close relationship with, had died. I, I think that Saul probably saw that happen, and I can only imagine as a father what that felt like, especially knowing that the battle, some of it was the consequences of his own sin. And then finally Saul dies. He falls on his own sword before the Philistines can destroy him. The news gets to David, and in First Samuel or Second Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, David says, it says, David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because so many had died that day. And then he goes on and he writes this song. David composed a funeral song for Saul and for Jonathan. Later he commanded that it be taught to all the people of Judah. It is known as the Song of the Bow and it is recorded in the book of Jashar. Here it is. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. How the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath or the Philistines will rejoice. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ascalon or the pagans will laugh in triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you or your slopes. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. Both Saul and Jonathan killed their strongest foes. They did not return from battle empty-handed. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and death. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul. For he dressed you in fine clothing and gold ornaments. How the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead upon the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. How much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of a woman. How the mighty heroes have fallen, stripped of all of their weapons. They lie dead. It's beautiful poetry. So much involved there. But here, here was my question when I read it. Where was the stuff about Saul chasing David making his life miserable for 25 years. 
Where was the stuff about Saul being jealous of the attention that David got so jealous he wanted him killed? Where was all of that? It's not in there. What he does is he talks about how gracious Saul was. He has what, what's called selective memory. Any of you dads ever been accused of selective memory? Not in a good way? Well, David has it in a good... He's a different kind of guy. He's got a sense of innocence about him. And so, and so what I want to talk about for a few minutes uh, today is that, that sense of innocence. I want to contrast David and Saul and, and talk about where we lose it and how it can be restored. Okay? Let me give you three words, three ideas about how we lose the sense of innocence that God implants in us and, and He wants us to maintain uh, in our lives. The first one is this. It's the applause. The applause. The applause can rob you of innocence. David handled the applause. Saul was destroyed by the applause. Let let, let me illustrate it like this. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to count to three, and then I want everybody in this place, in every venue, in every campus, I want you to cheer whistle if you can do that i want you to just let it out with I, I want you to think about something great happening you know like the cubs winning the world series i don't know i want you to think about something great happening and then i want you to let out applause this is going to be an experiment okay are you ready one two three let's go yeah Woo! yeah Woo! come on come on Woo! all right yeah all right All right, all right. Wow, that felt good, did it? What if they did that every time you did something good? Like, I think every time I get done with a message, I think but right, right before the response time, there ought to just be that. I guarantee I'd do better next week if, if that was the case. Okay? <laughs> Okay. What if what if every time at what if every time at, at work? Or what about every time at school? Maybe you're in college or high school, middle school. What if you I mean you aced a test and the, all the people around your friends go, Yeah and boy they just bust out into applause. Or how about at work you give a report and everybody goes, Wow, that was awesome and it just or or how about Every time you changed a diaper and you did it well, there was just a bust out of all the kids are gathered around, they're calling you blessed. And there's this, how do you know that would be better than the alternative? It's better than booze. And I'm not talking about the kind you drink, although that's probably not good either. But applause, I mean, applause is, we, we love to be encouraged and we need to be. But the Bible says there is a dangerous element to applause. Proverbs 27 and verse 21 says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. They're tested by their praise. I remember the first time that I heard the applause. I remember the first time someone said to me, What you said today really impacted my life. Remember the first time someone said, you know what, it felt like you were 
up, up in my soup today. I don't, do you guys have a camera at the house and when you prepare the message? I remember the first time somebody said that. I remember the sense of awe and wonder because I know I'm not that good. And God chose me and God used, chose to use me in this way and just the awesome innocence of that moment, I remember. But I also know that over time, we perfect our craft. For me, it's preaching. For you, it's somewhere else, something else. We read books. We take more swings at the plate. We get better at what we do. We hear the applause of the crowd. David heard it. The women were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. What do you think that did inside of David or could have done inside of David? Yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You hear it. Somebody says, you really do that well. You know, whether it's singing or teaching or relating or selling or building something or drawing something or taking pictures of something. You say, you really have a gift. You do that well. You're a great dad or you're a great mom or whatever it happens to be. And we start to believe them and we take the applause for ourselves. That's where it's tested because we lose the amazement that God would actually use us. We lose that first time experience of going, wow, this is incredible. God has gifted me. Applause can be addicting. It can cover a soul that's becoming empty. In fact, I believe the higher up you go on the food chain, the more addicting it becomes. I tell pastors all the time when I speak at, at pastors' meetings and conferences. I just spoke at one a week ago in Florida. I tell them every time almost, it's kind of my, my, my pastoral word to pastors, is that uh, your, your people are applauding you every week just when they say, good sermon, pastor. You speak to me and God uses you. And you need to sit at a table. You need to be sure you've got a table somewhere where people love you, but they're not that impressed with you. I've got that kind of table. <laughs> they love me, but they're watching for pride. They're watching for sin. We, around here, we've got huddles of people that love each other, but they're carefully monitoring one another. And you need that in order to combat that. You know, the most dangerous effect of applause is when we resent the applause that someone else receives. That's what happened to Saul. Saul resented, rather than... Joining in and saying, you know what? God has gifted David. God really has. And I want to applause that because I want to be on that side of the equation. Rather than that, he thought there's not enough applause to go around. And so he resented it. And there may be somebody in your life right now. Maybe a competitor in the work field. It may be somebody that just you know them and they come to mind and they're getting the applause. And you think you deserve the applause and it can rob you of your innocence. And it can destroy your soul. So be careful. The applause. The applause. Now, don't stop applauding one another, okay? Listen, don't quit telling me I do a good job when I do, all right? That's my job to handle that. You guys just tell me, okay? Just tell me. <laughs> Second thing that drains the innocence is the grind. The grind. David had been on the run for 25 years. He certainly could have succumbed to the feelings that perhaps Paul or Saul uh, came to after being king for so long and managing various conflicts and winning some and losing some. You know what the grind is like. 
Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. It says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. Boy, I've wanted to quit several times. Have you? I'm the only one in the building that's ever wanted to quit. I remember the vision to start this church and how exciting that was and gathering together a team, Ron and Libby Hamilton at the West Campus, some of the first people that we sat down with and we dreamed together. We actually dreamed at California Dreaming and we dreamed together about what it would be like to plant this church and I was so excited I couldn't hardly wait to tell everybody about it and then we got started. And then the reality after a few weeks and months of setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down in that movie theater and getting there at 6 o'clock in the morning and we were excited at first and after a few weeks and months I couldn't even get people to come for Krispy Kremes because the grind had worn down the innocence of the whole deal. I remember when we started a Wednesday night service we started it in a dance studio here in Mount Pleasant. That was kind of cool because it had mirrors all the way around. It made it look like there were a lot more people there than there actually were. (laughs) Then we moved from the dance studio to an elementary school, and we had to set up and tear down. And I remember the first summer in the elementary school, the air conditioning went out at in June. And I went in to talk to the principal, and I said, will they get that fixed? And he said, we sure will. And I said, when? He said, it'll be done by September. That's when we went casual. I want you to look at... I used to be the worship leader here. This was a Wednesday night service. We've got a picture in suit and tie, and I'd taken my jacket off. That young guy, he was good. (laughs) But he lost his innocence somewhere about then. Some people say those were the good old days. No, they were just the old days because there was the grind. You felt the grind if you've been married for very long or if you've been at what you're doing for very long or the, the shine has worn off of the new idea and it's just hard, hard work and you want to quit. How do you sustain it for the long haul? You know what's cool? Today I have a very special opportunity um, of having somebody here in the service with us who's been at it for a long time. And I thought we'd mine some of his wisdom. So will you welcome my father as he comes uh, this morning to be with us? He's good, but you're cutting into my time. (laughs) This is a rare privilege. I can't tell you how rare it is because uh, dad being in ministry and me being in ministry, we haven't been together in this setting like this for probably 30 years. Close to it. We've seen each other more often than that, obviously. But uh, every five to eight years, we try to get together. But (laughs) not actually. But because of responsibilities on the weekend, this is kind of a rare treat. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the grind. But before I do, these people want to know, what, what was it like and to be chosen by God to raise such four incredible kids? I wish I knew. <laughs> That's a good answer. Let's, uh, let's move on, shall we? Um, You've been in ministry how long? 
Well, I'm in my 63rd year of ministry. 63rd year of... And we're talking vocational ministry because we all know that we're all in ministry, right? We're chosen by God. We are in ministry. Some people do it and they're paid for it. I like to say here, uh, you guys, I'm paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. You know that? <laughs> and so we're all, we're all in ministry, but we're talking vocational ministry. And you started at about 14 years old. You were an evangelist that traveled from place to place. And then you became a pastor and pastored several churches as we were growing up. And uh, then when mom died um, in 1991, you uh, went to be a missionary in India and served there for how long? Eight, ten years, something like no, that? No, seven years. Seven full-time. years, seven years full time. And, uh, and now you've remarried and you are again pastoring a church with your wife in Los Angeles, That's California. Right. Yeah, so a long, long time. So, have you ever felt the grind? Was there ever a time when you, you felt like quitting? Many times that I felt like quitting. A lot of Monday mornings. Yeah. <laughs> Very tempting. Yeah. But I remember one particular time. That's when you were just a tiny baby, a few months old. So you can see it's really a long time ago. <laughs> and we were in a, an evangelistic meeting in Oklahoma City in the wintertime. And I had been blessed by buying on payments a travel trailer. And we were staying in Oklahoma City and preaching a meeting at a small church. And uh, it got very cold. And everything in that trailer froze. Every pipe burst. And uh, it was really a, a bad scene. And then we had been going a week with the meeting and we, the offerings totaled $27. That was a lot of money back then? Nope. No, okay. (laughs) And uh, I'd I'd sent that on the trailer because we were behind on payments. The only reason we still had it, they couldn't find us. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't have any milk for the baby. Obviously, he starved. (laughs) And uh, we, we just were really in tough shape. Finally, I said, I'm going to go buy a newspaper and maybe there's some good news there. That'll be the day. And, and I said, maybe something will, will help. And so I got in my pockets and then you could buy the Daily Oklahoman newspaper for a nickel. And uh, I couldn't find a nickel. I looked all through the trailer. I looked everywhere. I I even went out and pulled the cushions out of the car to see if a nickel had dropped down. No nickel. And that was the last straw. I mean, that was it. I walked back into the trailer and said to my wife, that's it. I'm through. I'm finished. This is the last meeting. I'm going to get a job. I can't support my family. We don't have milk for the baby. I can't even buy a newspaper. Uh, this is it. I'm through. And my wife looked at me and she said, You're not about to be through. You just think you're through. And I said, Oh, I mean it. I want to get a job. Get out of get out of the ministry. It just doesn't work. She said, Now, wait a minute. I married you because you were a preacher. Said, I wanted to be involved in full-time ministry. 
And uh, if, if it's over, you're over. <laughs> <laughs> Tough love, we call that. And she said, you need to quit pitying yourself and get in touch with God and realize that we walk by faith. And she said, furthermore, I don't want to see you for a while. You go over to the church and you stay there until you feel different than, the, than you do now. And I did. And it was three hours. But when I came back, I had a renewed vision, a renewed sense of faith in God to provide, and obviously He did. You know, Mom, that was kind of her solution to everything. You just need to pray it through. Just pray it through. Yeah, I think you've heard that speech. I've heard too. it a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> just pray it, suck it up, and pray it through. Um, so, obviously, there were many times that you wanted to quit. Um, in in speaking to this group here, what would you say to somebody who is worn down by the grind? What sustained you through the years? Well, I think there are many things, of course, multifaceted, but I think two simple words uh, are very good. The first is a calling. You've got to realize that our steps are ordered of God. He has a purpose in our lives. Instead of continually seeking the will of God, just try to do the will of God. Mm, that's good. He put you where you are. It's the calling of the Lord, not just full-time ministers. But if you have a job, that's God's will in your life. Take it as a calling. And the, and the second word is commitment. Sometimes just good old country stubbornness is the best tonic in the world. You see, if you're in a marriage, you're not just wildly in love all the time. Really? In fact, you're blessed if you're wildly in love part of the time. But... The secret to a long, successful marriage is a commitment to that marriage. Through thick and thin, through the high and low times, committed to making that marriage what God intended for it to be. So if it's a calling from God and we're committed to it, if it's a job, if it's a marriage, whatever it is, then we'll make it through with God's help. All right, good. Well, I want you to do one more thing. I know that there are people here that are worn down, losing innocence, because of the grind. And uh, I'd just like for you to pray for him. Will you do that? I sure will. Okay. Will you bow your heads with us? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have committed to us such grace and such wonderful blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you have watched over our lives and our families. Now, Lord, I pray that you will reach out and touch that heart that is discouraged. That, that one who has lost the joy, lost the excitement, who is worn down from the grind of life, I pray you will give them a new revelation of your grace and of your love and of your power to lead them in their lives and give them the dance once more, Lord, and the joy of the Lord will take us through. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Thank you.
Now, mom and dad were old school in the best term of the word. And uh, those, those two words definitely calling. I know he, he uh, said many times that it's not a job for him. It is a calling. And that's true for any of us. And commitment. Those are strong, strong words. Well, let me, let, let me talk about one more thing. The applause can take your innocence. The grind can take your innocence. And the third one is your sin. Your sin can take your innocence. David is a world-class dancer. Next week we'll study a little bit of that when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant. But in, and, and, and in this song there is a sense of innocence. But there was a time in a season in his life when he lost the ability to dance. He lost his awe and his innocence. It's found in Psalm chapter 32 and verse one through five, and I want to read it. Just listen along. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all of my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all of my guilt is gone. David said, when I refused, when I refused to confess my sin, when I was hiding it, he said, I was weak and I was miserable and I groaned all day long. How do you know it's tough to dance when that's how you feel? It's tough to be a king. It's tough to be a dad. It's tough to be a leader when you're miserable inside and when you're hiding sin. See, the strongest sin is hidden sin. He said, what a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. We all sin. Would you agree with that? We all sin. Sometimes we get good at hiding our sins. But when we hide our sins, we lose the ability to dance. We lose the quality of life that Jesus intended when He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe we need to get back to the spiritual discipline of confession. You know, at the end of every service at a Seacoast campus, there are crosses at the front. Those crosses are places usually where you go to confess sin. I want them to be a reminder of the fact that Jesus died to wipe out even the memory of our sin. And it's healthy for us to get up and go and confess sin. I think also we need to learn to have safe people in in our lives that we can confess sin to. Richard Foster says it this way, you need people that there's nothing that anyone can say that will disturb them. Nothing. By living under the cross, they can hear the worst possible things from the best possible people without so much as batting an eyelash. You need somebody like that. Well, what if my confession of sin could cost me my job? What if my confession of sin could cost me my family? What do I do? Well, you know, you've got a couple of options. You can fake it, it, live a lie, But if you do, you will never, ever really dance again. And chances are you're going to face the music someday. 
you might press the wrong button on a social networking thing. And I hope you don't have pictures like that, but whatever. <laughs> the longer it goes, the messier it gets. Or you can do what David did and you can confess and stop hiding. You can't control the consequences, but you can control your response. A few weeks ago, a church planter that we helped, very high-profile church planter, one who had cast stones at others who had failed morally. The misery of his sin led him to confess to a friend. And another one of my friends had to step up and tell his heartbroken congregation on a weekend that their pastor was no longer going to be their pastor. He stepped down and he began the long process of healing and restoration. The early indicator, it's always sad and it's always hard, the early indicators are that he's doing the right things, willing to do the hard work to prepare to dance again. I know some who have short-circuited the process. And what happens is they declare themselves healed. They don't go through a process and they continue to dance, but they dance out of woundedness. There's a difference between brokenness and woundedness. Brokenness is a condition that, we wanna, that God wants us in where we come to the Lord and we understand that without Him we are nothing. We can minister powerfully out of that woundedness. We minister out of woundedness. We minister out of the tough places in our lives. And we ultimately, it's an impure word and it's a hurtful word to the people who um, hear it and they never recover their innocence and their awe. It was interesting in this case, the first responder for this guy who fell was one who had been crippled by his own sin about six years ago. He'd fallen. And he took the time to heal and he got a group of people around him and he kind of got out of the spotlight and he put his marriage together and they took time to heal and now he's back in the dance with a sense of innocence and awe. He was one who was able to respond to this guy and go, you know what, if you do the right things, God can use him again. Because God doesn't get glory by permanently putting any of us on the shelf. He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. God loves to ruin a good funeral. Did you know that? And some of you here, some of you here, are crippled by sin. And you're hiding it and you're afraid of what's going to happen. And I want to say to you today, do whatever it takes to get back into the dance. God loves you. He's placed you in a place that's very accepting, but a place that wants to see you cleansed and whole and free again. So I don't know what has taken the innocence and awe from you. It may be the applause, not handling it properly. It may be the grinder. It may be your own sin. But how about we start today to turn that around? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, your kingdom, your, your love for us, and the life that comes through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come in this building and in the buildings that are watching today, maybe on the Internet, one who's listening Right now, there's a word for you. God said He loves you. Give it to Him and trust Him with your future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.